Hey, hey, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Angle on Producers, the show where I shine a light on producers from all corners of the entertainment industry to understand who they are and why they do what they do. As always, I'm your host and fellow producer, Carolina Gropa. However you found the show, I know I say this every week, but it's true. I'm so glad you're here tuning in and doing this life thing with me. So thank you. This intro is being recorded live from my bed in Atlanta, where I just completed day one of principal photography on the very hilarious comedy, Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul. I feel very grateful to be here working alongside some incredibly talented people, and I can't wait for everyone to discover the genius that is writer-director Adama Ibo and her twin sister and collaborator, Adana Ibo. I mean, Regina Hall, Sterling K. Brown, a husband and wife team behind a prominent Southern Baptist mega church? Yeah, yes. Who says no to that, right? Anyway, let us put the angle, see what I did there, on the marvelous Mary Rollick. Mary is the head of TV and film for Priyanka Chopra Jonas's Purple Pebble Pictures. She came into my life thanks to the very lovely Sarah Anthony, producer slash hero slash friend, who was also a guest many episodes ago. At the time of this recording, which baffles me to say was at the end of 2020, Mary was transitioning from being a free agent slash independent producer to her new position at Priyanka's company. She is a veteran film, television, and documentary producer. She is also an executive producer on the acclaimed Netflix series Atypical, which is in its fourth and final season. She has produced numerous hit comedies, Horrible Bosses, Identity Theft, and award-winning documentary features such as Gleason and Russell. One of my personal takeaways from this episode was the reminder that there is no there there. And I know I preach this on the pod all the time, but it's why we do this. It's why we hear these incredible conversations with these incredible people to remind us that there is no one path. So stay the course. Trust your own journey. So without further ado, let's dive in and hear from Mary. I'm so excited to talk to you. It's taken us a minute to get here. I know. I know. I feel like when we started talking about this, I had a completely different job. So yes, it has been a minute. It has. So here we are. Thank you for finding the time. It's the end of the year when we're recording this. This will come out next year. But um, I'm so grateful to you for taking this hour to share a bit of you and your story with me and the listeners. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for dealing with my schedule. That has been a giant pain. It's, uh, you know, this, this project, this podcast has been such a labor of love, but it's like, I know how crazy busy producers are. So it's like, I'm a masochist, you know, because I was like, oh, yeah, let me try to talk to these insanely busy producers (laughs) and people that like I respect and admire who are like crushing it. But that's why when I get to have your hour, I'm just so grateful. So that said, um, I'd love for you to just take us to the beginning. Um, I know that if we Google you, there's a, many articles that where you've already sort of talked about your path into finding that producing was something one could do for a living. So mm-hmm. take us to to the beginning of that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it originally just as a person who grew up loving movies and watching movies, I didn't really know what anybody did. You know, I just kind of, you kind of knew the, you knew like director, writer and actor and things, the sort of the big ones, but um, I had no, I kind of paid attention to producer names, but never really knew what that was. And even I think um, every day I'm learning about that, but you know, I think kind of go, go, I, I just love movies. And, um, when I had access to my first film set, which happened to be in high school, um, it was the Cider House Rules set that they were filming in, in Massachusetts. Is that where you're from? I grew up in Iowa originally, but then my family relocated to Northampton, Massachusetts in the middle of high school, which was not a fun time to move. (laughs) Um, but And that was actually part of what led to this all as I, you know, was the new girl in school and didn't have any friends at first. And so when there was a new girl at my high school, I immediately befriended her and she happened to be in town with her father, who was Oliver Stapleton, who's a cinematographer who was shooting the Cider House roles. So that was my first like access 
to that's, a set. Yeah. And that's yeah. crazy that she obviously had to start school there because the production was going to be so long that the family had to just uproot and move there. Right. Which actually it was that she decided, you know, to come sort of take some time off school and just come to the U.S. with her dad and go mm. to school kind of for fun. So it wasn't a total relocation. Oh, she was yeah. going to school for fun. She was just like, you know, why not okay. hang out in the States for a little bit? Um, oh, nice. <laughs> low, low, low stakes school. It might have been between, you know, sort of, I think they have a different system there. So it might have been between, mm. kind of, you know, her yeah, year. But, um, yeah. <laughs> so going to set was fun, but the cool, like the weirdly cooler part was seeing a production office because um, that part of it, which is just a building with, doors and people sitting at desks working <laughs> felt so crazy to me that that's part of what filmmaking was yeah. which now you know obviously like I'm sitting in a production office right now but at the time you know I didn't think about all the stuff that happens uh, offset right, um, right yeah and so that was kind of my first sort of look at something that felt like wait there's all these jobs and there's like the producer and the production office coordinator and the PA and just anyway. So that was like my very, very first sort of, you know, window into it. Um, yeah. Which felt like it was possible, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, but then kind of the, after that, going to college, studying film. Where'd you go? Dabbling, um, I went to university of Wisconsin in Madison. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, and there it's a lot of film theory studies and mm. um, film criticism. And, you know, again, I felt like, and we had to make movies. Um, so I was really, didn't feel comfortable writing scripts and I didn't really feel comfortable working with actors. And so um, I made documentaries and I loved that. And um, so when I came out to LA, I sort of stumbled into development um, you know, working at MGM and being, you know, in development and assisting an executive there and then eventually over to Columbia Pictures as an assistant and then being on all those phone calls, kind of listening to the other end of the phone and all the producers that were calling my boss and really wanting to be on that side and sort of wanting to get a little bit more in that window. And so that's sort of how I started, you know, gradually kind of moving over there. Yeah, I read in one of the other interviews you did, you were talking about how the the sort of how being an assistant was sort of your grad school, right? Because you get to be on the inside sort of eavesdropping fly on the wall with all these conversations of all types of levels. And I find in my own path that that has been the most valuable lessons that like you can't really be taught. You just have to be there in the circumstance in real time as it's happening to kind of to learn through osmosis and be a sponge. And so yeah. as someone who didn't go up the assistant path, like it seems like a lot of the people who uh, successfully survived it <laughs> and got out, <laughs> you know, that that's really what yeah. they say, that that's the most like the window into all of those conversations is what really prepares you for the real world. Oh, yeah. And and I feel I mean, I give so much, um, you know, my boss at Columbia Pictures, Rachel O'Connor is now still one of my closest friends, you know, she was in my wedding, and she I've always seen her as a mentor and um, on multiple levels, right? Like, so on one hand, just being able to see how she does notes and how she talks to writers and how she talks to directors, how she, you know, gets information from, you know, an agent about something or whatever it is, like navigating all of that stuff but also just having a voice and standing up for herself and being, you know, especially a woman, mm. being somebody who um, would be talking on the phone and somebody might try to interrupt them or somebody might, you know, and she just would keep talking and have her voice. And she was very steady and solid and confident. And that was something I learned, you know, that was something I could see happen and learn and pick up on. And, you know, cause I think even for myself, like having those moments of, do I have a voice here? Do I have a seat at this table? It's always something to kind of that I navigate and yeah. having someone to look at and say, Oh, wow. Like that's, that's how, <laughs> that's how you do it with, you know, yeah. confidence and class and all do, those things. Do you feel yeah. like as you, as you have climbed up in your career that you ever actually feel like you get a seat at the table <laughs> or is there some part of, you know what I mean? Or is there always like a new table, like that's a little bigger or a different shape? <laughs> I will say, look, I do think the table keeps changing, but yeah. in my, my experience, 
um, has really been just as I realize what tables I want to sit at, if that, if we're going to keep with this metaphor, um, the ones I'm choosing, I do feel like I have a place and I, and I feel really, um, that there's a lot of trust there. And I, and you can feel that difference. I think once you're sort of, for me, having that experience of saying no to something Mm. or saying, I don't think that's the right place for me, or I see why that might be interesting, but I don't know if that feels right. And just like that, that's one of the, been the hardest lessons is saying no to things and how much you can kind of gain Mm. from that. That's Um, a good, that's a good point that I know we're sort of skipping around, but I am curious It's such a, it, it takes such uh, like tact, right? To know how to say no, how to say no tastefully and how to like know when something's a no for you. I yeah. Guess. I'm curious if that's something that came easily for you or if there was a period that you really struggled with that. <laughs> yeah, no, it does not come easily. And it's a constant <laughs> question and struggle. And sometimes, you know, uh, I will say like one of the things I realized is, um, you know, I'm grateful for all the jobs I didn't get because Mm. they led to different opportunities. So sometimes it's being told no, I'm being told no. Um, And I think that has been a good, almost like in some ways, they're both lessons, right? I think um, learning when something feels right or doing something for the right reasons and making a conscious choice. um, For me, that's been a big, that's been a big thing. And like knowing uh, if, even if this, leads to this or doesn't lead to that. I know that I've made the best decision I could in the moment, you know, Um, and try not to look too far ahead and try not to look too far behind either and kind of just be okay with that. (laughs) Yeah. I find that so tricky because as producers, like innately, we are constantly looking forward and, Mm -hmm. you know, always having to be in the present and so, or I'm sorry, in the future in some way that mm. I find that the ultimate challenge has, at least for me, been to then strike that balance of being in the present and enjoying the present, not just in all aspects of my life, but sometimes even with the work where you can be so focused on the next thing that you're not really enjoying or participating on the thing that is happening today that took you five years to get to yeah. the today, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't I know. know if, is that something that you've also... Yeah, I, I think it's, well, it's hard. I, I think it's, it's a balance. I know exactly what you're talking about, because yeah. sometimes I'm so caught up in the moment that I, I start to get anxious about, wait, what's tomorrow, you know, what I need to look at the bigger picture sometimes, because yeah. I get hyper focused. Um, but yeah, I do think that enjoying it is something as a good reminder, I try to I try to do that a lot, because I think um, it's easy to get caught up in it. And, uh, you know, uh, having a kid a few years ago, that, that, that changed things for me of, I'm every, all the things that take me away, I want to feel really great about what, you know, those reasons. And so making, again, like those choices, saying no to certain things, because it doesn't feel right, um, I think is really important. And knowing that other things will happen. Yeah. It's just trusting in that, right? Like I I know I'm a naturally very anxious person, which is what makes me really good at what I do. But like I said, (laughs) is also the very thing that destroys me. And I, in my twenties, definitely struggled very much with that anxiety because it's like, as an immigrant, as a person who's just like always had to be on that hustle, you just feel like you could never slow down. You feel like you can never take your foot off the gas or how do you prioritize other areas of your life? Like motherhood or whatever it is, if you just want to travel, if you just want to, I don't know, whatever it is that you want to do, whatever that looks like for you, balance, right, in the in your life. And it's been an interesting journey now that I'm in my 30s to sort of like, you know, feel a more like I've arrived a bit, you know, so there's a little less anxiety, but there's always that thing of like, yeah, you did this good for you. But the industry's like, what's next? What are you doing next? Like, and you're just like, yeah. oh my God, like, <laughs> you know, at my um, college graduation, Jerry Zucker spoke mm. and um, he because he went he was from Wisconsin and he gave this speech about how he missed his college graduation because he was so just like going to Hollywood like it was that was the destination. And and in the speech, he talked about how and I was sitting there like days away from driving to L.A. So it was so just exactly what I needed to hear. But one of the things he said is that there is no there there. And that has been something that has just stuck with me the whole time, because it's true. There is no there, there, there is no 
like the second you get there, there's another there, right? And so I think that reminder has been really, I mean, like I said, it's, I've, I think about it all the time because, and even, you know, I used to have friends who'd be like, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Or where do we want to be in 10 years in our career? And I'm like, I can't do that because 10 years ago, I never would have thought I'd be here. Yeah. So why even try to put that on it or yeah. take that put that pressure on it because it just feels like it takes away from the path being open to a path that you might not know I guess right right and it's a path um, so riddled with so much uncertainty that it's yeah yeah it's I think it's I, I admire people who can do those 10-year plans five-year plans and and actually e- execute them because I don't that's <laughs> no one I know that that I've even interviewed on the show has had any resemblance of a path like that. It's all been like doors open, they walked in the door and then they look back and they built a career based on all these various doors that they could not have predicted would have opened for them. So, well, which by the way is producing, I think in a nutshell too, because you you have this idea of, okay, we're going to sell this here. We're going to do this thing. We're going to get this person. We're going to, they're available on this date and we're going to shoot it here. I'm like, no, never works out that way. You're going to like, I don't believe we're shooting anything until, or anything is real until it's like done with post-production. You know what I mean? Cause right, there's so right. many things that can just happen <laughs> in the middle of it. So the yeah. second you say something, it almost just jinxes it or something. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So true. <laughs> so true. Um, okay. But so you mentioned where you were 10 yeah. years ago, so I don't know the timeline here. So after you were an assistant, and then you yeah. connected with Seth Gordon, which sounds yeah. like was really a pivot for you and sort of finding your footing as a producer. Was that about 10 years ago? <laughs> yes, I think so. I really, I have no sense of time right now. 2020 has been kind of a oh, wormhole of a year. Yeah. Um, 10 years ago. Um, yeah. I mean, that was about when I was, um, well, no, I had been working with Seth for a few years then. So mm-hmm. we'd been, we'd done, you know, a couple of movies together and, we're probably around the time where we started dipping our toe into TV in a big way. And it was kind of funny because again, like, you know, today TV and film are so just, you yeah. know, one and the same in a lot of ways. But back when I started, it was, are you in film or are you in TV? And right. there wasn't a lot of crossover. And so um, we, when Seth and I started working on TV and, you know, really getting into that, that was around 10 years ago when I remember going to dinner with a couple of my girlfriends, Jillian and, you know, Annie, who are both awesome producers now. And they, um, I remember being like, guys, I got to learn how to do TV. <laughs> I got to figure <laughs> this out. I need someone who's going to teach me how to do TV because you just have to kind of jump in and figure it out. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it was, yeah, that was probably about 10 years and ago. And so how did, how did you do that? Because you, you obviously have produced docs, features and television and, and 10 now, like you mentioned, it's a little easier to sort of cross lanes. Yeah. I, I feel like I've been one of the fortunate producers who can kind of do all of the things. Sometimes I'll do a good, co- yeah. just a commercial for good measure. Cause why not? I like the sprint of it, but back then it was so much harder to your point. So how did you manage to stay in all those lanes and, and learn the, the television side so you could jump in the deep end of the pool? I did what I think anybody should do if they don't know something is go to somebody who knows something and ask them all the questions. Yeah. And I did that. And I remember um, Teresa Kang, who was our agent at the time, was like, please tell me TV. And so we sat down and we talked about it all. And, you know, again, like it seems kind of silly now to think about, but I really didn't, it's, it was a different system. And how, you know, how do I do this? And what's the cycle of the pitch season? And, you know, what, when are upfronts and what are upfronts? Like all the things that I think now are, you know, no big deal to know. But I think at the time, again, like I was in such a, feature world. Um, and so, yeah, I talked to people and I asked questions and then, and I also just jumped in and tried to figure it out. So it was all in the same, you know, will you speak Um, to, to how you personally navigate that? Because one of the questions I get a lot, it's, we, we hear this like, Oh, you just ask someone, you just reach out to people. Right. But I think the act of reaching out tastefully, respectfully, when you don't know someone somewhere mm -hmm. is really overlooked and how to do that properly and not be like a weirdo, especially nowadays that everybody's so readily available on the internet. So I feel like 10 years ago is a lot harder to get contact info for some people, but anyone can Google someone and find their email address. So if you're cold calling, cold emailing, cold reaching out to someone because you want to learn, what? how would you recommend someone who is listening doing that so that they get the respect and time of day of the person receiving the message? 
Look, I mean, I think it's being really genuine and I think being, um, you know, again, sort of respectful. Those are the things I think um, I've, cause I've received those emails. Um, and for me, um, it's almost always about just if I in the moment have the time to respond and remember, you know, then I, then I almost always do. A lot of times I just forget and I'm busy and then I, I'm my email inbox is horrifying to some people. So, you know, I think, um, but I think just being, you know, being, understanding that you are taking someone's time. So I think just knowing that working around their schedule, if they're willing to have a conversation with you, I, um, you know, also think that if you can do your homework and know who that person is and what they've done. And, and also if you kind of know what you're reaching for too, because sometimes talking to the president of a company may not be as, um, you know, it may not be as helpful as talking to the junior executive at the company. Right. Right. And so I think just knowing who you're reaching out to and what you're asking of them um, is a first sort of do your homework before you reach out, I would say. Um, and then I think be really just flexible and understanding with how long it might take to get on the phone. Like our, our scheduling yeah. I admit, might have taken about a year. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I think, I think just knowing that um, stuff is really helpful. But for me, I love talking to people about, you know, like one of the things, again, coming from, you know, the Midwest and not really knowing anybody, it was really helpful to just ask people, what, what is development? What, what does someone do? What is the path? You know, things that you just have to kind of navigate. Now there's a lot of information online and stuff, but you know, and when I first moved out here, I started um, this group called Hollywood Badgers because I wanted to, you know, help people from Wisconsin where I went to school, you know, kind of navigate how to work in Hollywood. And I would go back there and talk to students and say, ask me whatever you want and just, you know, kind of talk about it. Because again, it's it's hard to know what you don't know. And yeah, it's hard yeah. to kind of ask questions if you don't want to mm. seem like you don't know, yeah. right? Well, we should definitely make yeah. sure we shared this episode with them. If you haven't <laughs> yes. shared your, your thing. Yes. Um, I read somewhere that it's it was some book, one great book, I don't know, somebody who's really smart, smarter than me said, you know, no matter what you do, never forget what it was like to be, to what your first time was like. Like, no matter what you do, mm. don't forget that you two were for the first person, that you two were the person at the table for the first time and you didn't know. Yeah. So like- keep but but that quote is like keep the excitement always for like being new to something understanding you may not have all the answers but also have kindness towards the people that are stepping in and it's their first time because you two were there once and now you you have all the info but at one point you didn't you know and it's important to like just have that compassion towards others who are reaching out and, and how scary it is sometimes to like email someone that you admire whose work you've seen and and think oh my gosh like and get so nervous and so I think that's yeah what you said is exactly right so yeah well and I think I do I mean I think that is I remember that like I said like I you know know my mentors and I still have them you know and I think it's important to remember that that's that's I hope that never goes away you know because I think it's just it's nice it's nice to be able to reach out to somebody say and colleagues and say I'm going through this thing have you ever been through this thing I don't know what to do here and kind of because you know every every experience is different yeah and there's always something new that comes up and so yeah Yeah. I definitely think that's that's nice yeah it's honestly part of why I wanted to start this show is to create a sense of community in a place where maybe I if I'm listening I can't necessarily be talking to you but I can through this conversation get some of the questions I have answered or, you know, Mm -hmm. sort of be reminded that I'm not alone in this journey, no matter where I am on my path, because I feel like that's such an important part of it that you you don't really read about in the books, you know, the producing books and like making it in Hollywood books is, I think the mental health and the lifestyle stamina that is required to sustain a career in, in this business, regardless of what discipline you're in, but I would say, especially as a producer. So on that note, I, you know, I'm curious with the challenges of, of it, you know, especially certain creatives can be depleting of your energy. What um, do you do to recharge your soul and fill your personal well so that you can show up and be the best version of you to your collaborators? 
That is a, that is a constantly evolving, changing <laughs> thing that I have to always remind me myself of. You know, I think um, it really does change. Like this, this these past seven months have been getting outside and exercising. You know, yeah. doing something that's just from on my own. Um, and that preferably outside, you know, like running, which I never thought I would run in this time <laughs> has brought me to that. But, you know, bef- before that I was journaling, um, mm. sometimes it's just like holding my kid and, you know, just like yeah. being together for a little bit. Um, you know, it really, I, it, but it is something I have to always remind myself of because, uh, like these past couple of weeks have been really stressful at work and, um, Oh, therapy. I started doing therapy. That's, oh, that's a good one. I it's think that's a good one. Yes. Yeah. And I, my therapist is like, what are you doing to take care of yourself? And I said, nothing. <laughs> and I think that that's a really bad answer. Yeah. It's a bad um, answer. It's a bad answer agree. because, you know, yes, because it's, um, it's, it's really, it's, it's hard to say when you, when you're, when you don't have a lot of time and it feels like there's not enough hours in the day, it's hard to say, well, I'm going to take an hour for myself, you know, when I feel like I need to be doing something else that I, or, you know, I'm not sleeping very well. I remember I went on a walk with uh, the showrunner I'm working with right now. And I was like, oh, I had finally slept for the first time last night. Well, I woke up at one and I read a script, but I slept other than that, you know, and it just is like, what, what is my now normal, like, okay, sleep is still waking up in the middle of the night and reading, but it's just, you know, finding just, I don't know, it's really hard. It's really hard. But I think, um, I also do believe and remind myself that there's an up and down, you know, like there will come a time right now, I've always known it's going to be really hard. Um, but knowing that there will be times when it's a little more calm and, being kind to yourself is really Mm. good. What's making it so hard right now? Well, so I have been an independent producer for several years and I mostly have been doing this show called Atypical. Yes. Which I want to get to. Yes. So we, um, started the fourth season, which is our final season. Congrats. We started the, thank you. We started the writer's room on March 16th, 2020, which was the first day of the state home order in California, which is a really (laughs) rough day to start. But um, then a few months later, I started a new job with Priyanka Chopra. And um, I'm currently doing both (laughs) as like full-time jobs. So um, production's supposed to start for Atypical in about a month. And so the combination of those two things are just a very intense. Got it. Yeah, that makes absolute sense, which is also the perfect segue as head of TV and film for Purple Pebble Pictures, which is Priyanka's company. How... How has that transition been like for you to go from freelance independent and now being in within a company? And also, how, what is that job responsibility like? How does how is that different from what you've done so far? Well, it's you know the transition. Well, so before independently producing, I was with Seth Gordon for about ten years, and so that transition to independent producing was actually very drastic because it was mm. like very very intense and busy and big to, I want to be quiet and do like, and by quiet, I mean, you're producing a TV show is still not, it's still intense, but um, (laughs) it was fewer things, you know, and kind of less responsibility on the whole. Um, And so then the transitioning to Priyanka and working with her was ramping up a lot very quickly. And so, um, but I felt ready for it because again, like I'd had kind of a few years of Again, not quiet. I was producing a show, but it still felt, you know, less crazy. Um, <laughs> and I felt really ready for something new. Yeah. Um, and I'd been feeling that a little bit for about a year. And kind of, you know, again, like back to that picking the tables that you want to be at. She, um, when I met with her, it just was like, oh, yeah, this feels right. This feels like the kind of, you know, person, the kind of company, the kind of vision that I want to be a part of. Um, And, you know, so the responsibilities are, it's a lot, you know, it's, we have TV, we have film, we're, you know, we want to do doc series and everything and in between, um, and really kind of getting those projects 
developed, sold, and then into production at some point, hopefully. Mm. Um, and, you know, high volume. And so, yeah. um, so would you say, are you, cause it's still a pretty small company. So in terms of the support that you have, um, are you also essentially development then everything that comes through the pipeline, I would assume goes through you and you're vetting it before you bring it to Priyanka to discuss. Is that yeah. sound right? Yeah. That's a yeah. lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. No wonder we're um, reading scripts at one in the morning. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. 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 But that's again, like, I love it. Right. I love, yeah, I, yeah. you know, working with somebody who I really respect and admire and trust and have, you know, like, I feel that um, security and sort of knowing like we are aligned in so many ways that it feels like, Hey, I'm going to, I want to talk to you about this thing. And also the other thing is, I love that she's somebody who loves to read content and has, you know, thoughts on it and watches stuff. And so it's just easy in some ways, you know, yeah. to, um, to have those conversations and to feel like we're on the right path um, and make decisions. And, you know, and, and I, you know, we're also the sort of culture of how we work is very um, aligned, right? Like, so coming from the independent producing world where I got to sit at home on my couch and work and, you know, do it on my own schedule is not that different, right? As long as you're getting the work done, do it when, do it how you feel comfortable doing it. So if it's sitting on the floor, you're sitting on the floor doing yeah. it. It's not like corporate feeling at all, which is, so in that sense, it was very easy to transition yeah. because it was the same sort of culture in general. Yeah. Same company culture yeah. you had for your yeah. company of one. For myself. <laughs> for yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I think I, that I, as someone who's always been very curious about going in-house and working and going in-house just sounds like, what does that even mean anymore? Because like in-house means right. I'm still in my own house. Right. So she's yeah, from home thing. But like, you know, I've been freelancing for so long on the indie grind for yeah. so long that I'm always so curious on that transition. And a lot of my fellow cohorts, cohorts um, who came up with me, a lot of them are in that place where they are transitioning and going in house and like going to Netflix, going wherever, you know, and it's just so fascinating to me, the differences and whether you're, you're going to a much bigger player like those guys, or you are running a smaller company, um, talent, you know, sort of talent led company. Um, the differences of it, I, I had, um, the good fortune of speaking with Michelle Purple. I don't know if you know her, but she, mm. she she's Jessica Beale's producing partner. And one mm. of the things we talked a lot about is at the time when Jessica Beale launched her company, which was, I think it was over 10 years ago, I forget, but it was at a time when the industry really looked down upon actor production companies because mm. everybody thought that it was like a vanity company. Vanity. Mm -hmm. And it's just so interesting how I think thanks to, you know, women like Reese Witherspoon, who really put their money where their mouth is with like, getting female led content out there and, and amplifying female voices. I feel like in the past five years, there's been this like, incredible sort of uprising of all these women who yes, are famous actresses who people recognize, but that actually ha are getting to put on this producer hat and like, actually make a dent in the conversation, right? Because I think at the end of the day, we tell stories, we're so lucky to get to do what we do, but stories impact change. <clears throat> they change how we perceive culture and others. And it's such an important res social responsibility, I think, to get to be a storyteller. And so to have women popping up all over from all kinds of backgrounds, getting to have this opportunity. I don't know. It just, it's not even really a question. It's just such an exciting time, a, a pandemic aside, you know, it really is what a wonderful time to be a woman and to be in this business. And I just, it just makes me really inspired just like even chatting with you, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I completely feel the same way. And I, and again, like, I think it's, um, you know, would 10 years ago, if I ever thought I would be here, you know, yeah. the answer would be absolutely no. And even, even when we were starting conversations, it's, I didn't know much about, you know, who she was as a person, you know? And so I think that like really trusting your, like those feelings and those connections and how, um, again, like at the end of the day, we're all people tell, trying, who want to tell stories. Right. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, with her in particular, once you, many people know this, but if you start looking, she's, she's been producing for forever, you know? And so yeah. I think um, that, that having that really strong point of view and drive and all of the things that, um, you know, I align with um, has been really great. And it's so funny because I think sometimes I remember like 
probably, I have no sense of time, over a year ago, a year and a half ago, going on a job interview um, that I was really interested in the company. Uh, maybe this could be cool. You know, again, like not really sure what I wanted to do. And I remember sitting in the lot, like the waiting room lobby of this office building and having a total panic attack and being like, I can't work in an office. Like I can't do it, you know? And I think just, and being like, this isn't the right place for me. And I think like knowing that too, what feels right and what feels good. And even though on paper, it might've been yeah. a great job, who knows? Um, it, you have to trust your gut too. I know. And it's that thing, like your gut is always speaking to you, but it, some people just takes them a little longer to start to listen and, you know, trust that, that, that that's guiding you to the right place. It's like just trusting this invisible force that you have to say no to the the right, you know, n no to the certain things for the right things to appear for you. Yeah. Um, and I think that's uh, honestly why there's a lot of sort of um, unhappy people in our business is because they sort of know they shouldn't be doing X and they sort of force it. And I get like, sometimes you have to pay your dues. You have to be in a, sure. you have to work a desk like for a certain amount of time. But the people that, are not a part of my circle that I've encountered that are just perpetually unhappy. It's the people from what I've gleaned in conversations with them, like they are just constantly um, going against their own, their own gut. And it's such a weird, yeah. And it's such a weird business in that sense. Cause like you said, there is no one path, there is no one way. So really yeah. all you have is like your gut, your sense of integrity and your inner compass to like align with people who sort of vibrate at that frequency as well, who are going to give you the right advice to get to sort of get where you're going, you know? Well, I had a, you know, in a, one of my very best friends who um, is now directing, um, you know, 15 years ago, we would do dinners together as assistants and just say, am I happy right now? Am I happy with what I'm doing right now? Because yes, you know, I'm still an assistant and my coworkers are getting that jump to CE and they're getting that promotion or they're getting that thing or, you know, but, but do I really, you know, do I really want that? And if so, I should go for it. But am I happy right now? Am I learning something? Am I getting something from this opportunity right now? And if not make a change. Right. And I think that that like check-in is something that, um, has helped me a lot because it's easy to get swept up in the wait. I'm still, I'm still here. I'm still only here. Right. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> am I getting something from this that's different than the last thing I did? Or, you know, like it, sometimes it's credit, sometimes it's experience, sometimes it's whatever. I don't know. Like it's, it's always a little bit different. And so I mean, for me, that's what I have to keep doing, you know, and, yeah. and there was a time when I realized, oh, I'm really, somebody was asking me over Christmas years ago about like, um, you know, work questions. I was like, I don't want to talk about work. And then I was like, why, why? I love what I do, but am I happy in the thing that I'm doing right now? And mm. so, you know, like just having to kind of check yourself, I think is really important because it's easy to get wrapped up in it. I still do it all the time, you know? Yeah, 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 for sure. And I mean, when you do get wrapped up in it, what are your ways of like navigating out of it? <laughs> um, Asking for a friend, I'm the friend. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a friend of a friend. Um, I mean, look, it just depends on the thing, right? It's yeah. like, it, you know, um, I try to just be, you know, when you have, when I have a tough, situation um just trying to talk about it you know get 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 real with it whatever it is figure it out navigate it um or if it's something that's really bad then get out of it you know yeah. i think change it um it's been yeah. a while since i've had that sort of thing fortunately so it's you know been pretty good but yeah yeah i mean look i think the other thing is um you know, there's always navigating people and personalities and unhappy people mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. in life and in this industry. Um, and I think being really conscious about who you work with, if you can, is really yeah. important. Yeah. Um, you know. So good, what, good what brings you joy? What makes you happy? Besides work? It's honestly the little things. It's really... Um, it's, it's time with my kid and really, you know, having that family time, um, and quiet and alone, you know, time I, yeah. I, it is, um, it's a weird year because I think 
for me, I feel like part of my superpower of this quarantine is that I'm, I am an introvert. And so I've been kind of okay, you know, with like, there's a lot of stuff going on, but, um, like, yeah, happiness, there's just, Well, it's interesting because what I, what I've (laughs) observed and I've been fortunate enough to do a lot of these conversations during the pandemic, right. All all the way up to when it kind of started. And it's, it's definitely for us who have the privilege of having a roof over our heads and having, you know, a safety net financially and still having a job, like it's really created space, I think, to reevaluate like what is important, what are our priorities in terms of how we're filling our lives, but also the kind of work that we're doing, the kind of people we're surrounding ourselves with. There's, I feel like this big energetic shift. And that's why there's been, I feel like so many, even within agencies and managers and just so many people like leaving the business and just really being like, whoa, like, is this what I want to be doing? Is this the thing that brings me happiness? Um, And so I was just curious if, if the pandemic or how the pandemic has perhaps shifted or just solidified any of that for you. Yeah. I mean, I think it has, you know, because in the sense that I remember feeling in the beginning of the pandemic um, where we didn't have childcare and, you know, was still working. Um, First of all, juggling those things was hard. Um, But I felt like when would I ever have had this much time with my daughter? Um, Because I work a lot. And so I would see her, there were times when I would see her for an hour in the morning and maybe an hour at night, you Mm -hmm. know, um, there were times when I would only see her once, um, because I would be home too late. Um, you know, and so that, and now kind of starting to get more busy and being away more. And, you know, like today I was leaving before she woke up and I'm like, ah, I want to, you know, I want to get home in time to appear, you know, and just again, like, um, I feel more than ever that pull, um, Mm. and that prioritizing because when I had her, you know, I didn't know how to be a mom. (laughs) I didn't know how to be a parent and it was really hard and it was really, I didn't feel like I was good at it and I didn't know what I was doing. And so it was easy to kind of go back to work. Of course it was hard in the sense of like, I wanted to be around, but I know how to do my job. Right. Right. And I know how to produce. I, it's like, Oh yes, let's have somebody help me with this thing called raising a child. I don't know (laughs) what to do there. Um, and now, you know, now I feel, uh, I feel more confident and <laughs> I feel like I'm learning and figuring it out and, you know, like producing, asking other people yeah. how they do it. But, you know, I think, so yeah, it, it, that, that balance is something I want to keep or try to keep, uh, you know, as best yeah. I can. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it's tricky as a as a woman who aspires to have a family and I don't currently have one. It's I feel very much just hearing you talk, that's definitely always like the the anxiety of like, oh my God, like how do you structure your life to create that sense of balance so you can be with your child and actually be there to see it grow up and help raise the baby that you created. Um and you know, so it's not just another one of your producing projects you're juggling <laughs> among well, everything yeah. else you're doing. But yeah. also being a producer who um, you know, recognizes that that's something. Here's one thing I will say about the pandemic, and I don't know if this you've felt this on your end mm-hmm. at all, but um, the the fact that people do have families has become part of our work now yeah. because you'll be in a meeting and somebody will be like, uh, I gotta go deal with my kid right now, or my kid will jump on my you know lap when I'm in the middle of a Zoom. Or I have to leave because she has to go to the bathroom, whatever. Like, and I, I was seeing that happen on the other end of my meetings too. And I think there was this sort of like, oh yeah, people have kids. We know about that, but as long as it doesn't interfere with work. But now that people were home, it was suddenly like, no, that's you can't avoid that. And so there was a there is a little bit of at least on my end where I felt like, oh yeah, uh, you get it now, right? Like yeah. <laughs> there's there is this sort of thing. You can't just hide your kids away in a closet. Um, and I think being um, someone at at work who recognizes that people have 
families is important too. Um, You know, even with one of our, you know, my friends who is a director, um, she's going back to work. She did a baby going back to work. Mm. You should tell, um, you should tell people that you need X, Y, Z because of that, you know? And I think it's like, it's okay to ask for that. It's okay to do that. And you should, because you know, I would fight for you to have that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On my, anyway. I'm, I'm optimistic that this, the one of the upsides of the pandemic and like exactly what you're saying, people getting to really remove that that veil of like the work and the life. It's like, no, you, you're going to, for this year, you have to have it all in one place. It yeah. helps remind us, oh, right, like I'm not a robot. Oh, right, like we're all humans and we have lives outside of like an office and really hopefully help make that shift of how do we incorporate our families into our work and it isn't so separate like I know exactly like with production for example that's been such a conversation of like why is it that sets can't offer childcare for crew who works you know these crazy hours and have some type of trailer or moho where you just drop off your kid and you can still see your kid at lunch if you want to Mm -hmm. and really find ways creatively to incorporate that because I think if there's any industry that can like figure that out more quickly than others it's ours you know because we're constantly problem solving and finding solutions for things yeah so I really hope that that becomes like a priority for everybody when we have to go back and people are like, no, but I miss this. I miss actually seeing my kid more than like twice a day for a couple of hours, you know? Yeah. Um, so I hope, I hope that that can happen. At least that's what I feel optimistic about and selfishly want that to happen so that I can be a part of that, you know, when I have a family as well. Yeah. I hope so too. I mean, I think it, and I do believe it's possible and yeah. I think it's, again, it's sort of, um, you know, I remember when I first had a had her um, going into the writer's room and having to leave or go do something, being very public about pumping. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, because I was thinking about it, I'm like, okay, I'm saying this in front of a lot of people who don't have kids or who don't, you know, you don't have that or aren't used to that. And I was kind of doing it consciously because I wanted, you know, on the next one for them to not, think that was weird or to, you know, feel like that was, oh, should go, you know, take an hour to go do that. Like, I don't know, it just familiarizing it and making it part of it. It's like, it's hard because I didn't exactly um, always have that mirrored for me when I was an assistant, you know? Right. Um, And so making assistants feel like, you know, my, my assistant had two kids and, you know, so it was just, it's okay that you, you have to take your kids somewhere. Like that's okay to yeah. say and to, you know, and, and I'm sure that there's things beyond just family. Like I'm obviously focused on that because I have a daughter, but I yeah. think that there are other things that are just, that should be more, um, more part of at all because we are all dealing with a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Mental yeah. health, you know, just again, like that, I yes, think is something I- that's come so Forward. yeah, so important. I, I really, I really hope that it, it can create a little bit, I don't know, just like a healthier, healthier industry with people that are more yeah. compassionate. They've we, like, we, we were able to sort of like, it's almost like there was um, a wedge placed in the hamster wheel and we all just like fell off and we're all like trying yeah. to figure out that we don't have to get back on at that speed to still be as productive. Um, yeah. So I saw this video talking about this guy who used to do this bike ride. And every time he did this bike ride, he was only able to do it in 43 minutes and he can never get his time down. And then one day he he did it and he thought, oh, for sure, like I, I added 10 minutes to this bike ride that usually is 43 minutes. It's not, it was, it, he thought it was going to be like an hour. And all he did was like, he stopped, he looked at the birds, he appreciated the ride actually, instead of just pedaling to get where he was going. And when he looked at his stopwatch, it only took an extra two minutes to actually mm-hmm. stop and enjoy the ride. And he was like, and that for me has changed the way I do everything because mm-hmm. you are still going to get where you're going. But if you're, if, can you just take an extra couple minutes to, to enjoy, enjoy it. where you're going? And I find that <laughs> yeah. for a lot of people in our business, like producers, especially we are sort of fast paced individuals and like you can slow down and do it in half of your speed and it'll still be faster than most people, <laughs> you know, and enjoy yeah. what you're doing. And uh, that is a constant reminder for me. Cause I can easily 
be well and it's the same thing as carving out some time for self-care right because that you may think you're losing an hour but you're actually gaining however much more productivity or you know groundedness whatever that is and that you think that's that is yeah that's a constant um i think the other thing is just how productive we can be in a short amount of time and you know things like that um yeah Yeah. Yeah, Which is why like a side note sort of tangent, but like I get kind of frustrated when people want to shortchange a producer's salary or a producer's fee Mm -hmm. because it's like, well, you're not paying me for quantifiable hours. You're paying me for the years of experience that allow me Mm -hmm. to do this one thing in 30 minutes that could have taken me three months, you know, and that's such an interesting it's hard to explain to people, especially as you're coming up and having to, as women, like fight for your worth and be like, this is why I can't work for this weekly rate and all of that nonsense. Completely. But, yeah, completely. Yeah. <laughs> but I want to um, be mindful. We're at 50 oh, minutes. No, okay. um, yeah. And so I want to shift gears to talking about um, autism and love and atypical and our sort of sure. link to autism that we both have, um, which is awesome. And I think that's actually why Sarah, Sarah connected us. Um, yeah. We met through the doc space and she was a big fan and supporter of autism and love. And love obviously, it. you know, atypical now in its fourth season, you said, right? Fourth or fifth? Yeah. Fourth. fourth. Yeah. Fourth and final. Fourth and final. And so talk to me about that journey. Like how much did you know about autism before this project came into your world? Very little. I mean, a very little consciously, I would say, you know, I think um, once I really, you know, season, re- season one, really, we did a and we've continued throughout, but um, sort of doing a deep dive and research and just reading and understanding. And um, I think, uh, the interesting thing with my experience with autism and meeting people with autism and um, recognizing that I know people with autism, you know, maybe I didn't know had it and, you know, things like, I think it's just been, um, uh, it's one of those wonderful communities to become a part of um, in so many different ways. And really that, you know, they say that when you meet someone with autism, you've met someone with autism, you know, and I mm-hmm. think that um, is really true. And yeah. to my experience, and everybody is their own unique person who mm-hmm. has, you know, different ends of the spectrum. And I, I think it's just been um, like a constant learning experience, you know, yeah. um, an evolution over time. And so how would you say, oh, oh, oh gosh, I mean, yeah, like before I did autism in love, I actually knew nothing about autism. I was, I had no contact with it. I didn't have a family member who was impacted by autism. I was very ignorant, honestly, about it. I thought I didn't know how it was different from Down syndrome, like most Mm -hmm. people and and autism in love was almost 10 years ago. So it was also quite a different time. It was really just like vaccines and Jenny McCarthy. It was like, those were the buzzwords, you know, and, and we really set out to do a project that looked at what happens to these kids when they grow up and become adults and want to have these romantic relationships. And what does that look like, you know, for them? And by definition, people on the spectrum don't know how to connect or read social cues. So how do you navigate a romantic relationship if you can't like see that your partner is upset because you said something? So it was just really fascinating. And honestly, a a very um, serendipitous, life-changing project for me. Like it's the Mm. project that professionally changed everything, opened a lot of doors. You know, we premiered, for me, it was like the catapults to that next level. We premiered at Tribeca and we went on to become Emmy nominated. And um, and it's still a project that till this day, we get people emailing us and, and thanking us for making it. But the bravery of the subjects that participated to open up their hearts and their homes to have us put a camera in their homes, which is like hard for most people to do, especially with someone on the spectrum. They're very sensitive to all of that. Um, We we just are so grateful that we got to be there and document these important moments that happen in their lives. Because that's the thing with docs, right? You're not you don't have a production end date on someone's life. You just have to like eventually stop rolling the cameras. Yeah. And I feel like we got very lucky with what we were able to capture when we captured it. But yeah, I mean, it changed everything. It, it just taught me so much about love and what love can look like, you know, and how, like you said, you, you met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. And similarly, every relationship 
is unique, whether neurotypical or atypical. Everybody's got different ways of navigating what they go through. And so um, being a part of that, and, and honestly, like after the film, every time we had a screening, having parents and people on the spectrum come up to us and shake our hand. I remember one time it was a father who he's a grown ass man, you know, and he came up to me and was crying and shook my hand. He's like, you have given me hope that my son can one day maybe have a relationship. And Mm -hmm. I didn't think that was possible. And and that's the why, you know, the why I do what I do for those moments and those experiences that are so special when you really get to see that your work has impacted someone on a, a really deep, real level. And you can't, you can't force that. You can't, you know, force that into existence, it either happens or it happens. And yeah, I think that's been my experience too, especially as the seasons have gone on and we've been able to, you know, um, you know, season one, nobody knew what the show was, right? And so yeah. it's, so you're making this thing in this bubble and trying your best and um, reaching out. We have, you know, we have consultants and we have people within the community who've been a part of this show since the beginning, but season two really opened up a lot more opportunities to connect. Mm-hmm. And so, Um, when people, you know, finding more actors who are on the spectrum and finding people who then could be on the show and be, you know, see, not only have people reach out and say, I identify with Sam, but also other characters within the show who, um, you know, have, who are on the spectrum who want to fulfill their dream of being an actor, you know, and so it's kind of having all of those really cool opportunities kind of Oh, unfold over the years has been yeah it's, it's amazing yeah. and parents parents reaching out and connecting with parents has been really yeah. nice too well so now that it's its final season what would you say like what's what's the thing you're gonna miss the most about the show it's such a special show I mean I think um the group that uh has worked on this from the beginning it feels very you know although a lot of things have changed throughout the years people have come and gone um it's still very much a family and um that family keeps growing and i think i'll miss um you know talking to everybody and you know sharing sharing everything i mean it's going to be hard this year because we can't all hug each other um when we see each other but i think that's that's what it is it's like very much a family, but also one that, you know, works really well together, does, cares a lot about each other, um, has, you know, we've always tried to do better every year and we can always do better, but it is something where we try to make a conscious effort to. And I think that having that kind working on a show that means something, um, Mm. is pretty nice, you know? (laughs) Um, So I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. I miss that for sure. Good. Well, I have one final question for you. I won't ask you where you'll be in 10 years, but (laughs) if there's a legacy that you hope to leave behind, what would Mm. you say that is? Mm, That's a good question. I feel like I need to do some journaling and (laughs) walking on that one. But I think, look, I... What I would love, I mean, I I care a lot about the things that I work on. I'm very proud of the things that I work on. But more importantly, I really care about my relationships with people. And I care about doing a really good job and doing that as a good person. (laughs) And I think, um, you know, I want to be someone who people love working with because that the experience of it is way more important than what it is, in my opinion. Um, because again, like, and maybe that's a, maybe some there, I'm sure there are people who will disagree with that. Um, and I hope someday to, you know, get the, all get the award for the thing that matters more than my relationships, but I don't think that'll happen. <laughs> I think, I think ultimately it's going to be about the journey and the experience and the people. Um, and that is really important to me. Yeah. So I don't know if that's a, that's my legacy, but it's I, it's it's just like trying to trying to be somebody who people like working with. I would love yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I think that that's my mo. I harp on the show about that. People are yeah. really tired of hearing me talk about it, but I won't ever stop talking about it. That for me, it's the thing itself is not as important as the journey to get to yeah. the thing and who you're going to be during that journey is really all you have. Cause there's no way to control. Like you said, anything can go wrong at any point in the process and there's best intentions. And so yes, the thing could go on to be the, the one thing that gives you all the accolades or not. But if you don't enjoy the path to get there, 
then is that a life worth living? Right. Yeah. Well, for sure. And I think also, you know, I have like being able to watch something again that you've worked on and smile because that experience is really good because that isn't always the case. And I, and I feel like that is like, you know, feeling really proud of the thing you make for sure, but also feeling really proud of like that memory of the thing. Yeah. Um, That's important to me as a person, again, like is choosing to spend time on something that, you know, where you want to be. So, yeah. No, I, I think we're cut from the same cloth. So yes. very much. <laughs> well, so. let's do something together. Then. I would love that. I would love <laughs> yes. that. Well, thank yes. you so much for, I'm so grateful. It's took a year, but you're worth waiting for. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> no, it's always worth it. It's like, I, like I said, I, yeah. I admire you and I, I applaud oh. you and everything you're doing. And so I feel really grateful to get like, to have this hour with you. So like- Likewise. Thank you. This is really, again, like a really fun way to spend time. So thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much for tuning in and doing this life thing with me. If you like the show, please don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. I'm at Carolina Gropa. You can find the show at angleonproducers.com. Thank you so much for tuning in and I'll see you next week. Beijos.